Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Troy Baum with the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies. And here with me once again is... Pastor Terry Shuff. Pastor Terry Shuff, the director of Raven Daytona Beach. Good to have everyone back. I hope you all had a blessed Thanksgiving. I know we had a good time here, brother, after the Thanksgiving holiday. Ate a little bit, and you guys were already out bright and early this morning hitting the track and trying to get in shape and getting ready. So good to be here. Good to have Raven Deb back in our studio running control for us. Today she uh, took a trip up and was in uh, Raven East Coast with Pastor Sam and Lucy. She was there d- delivering a, a van to them up there and spent the weekend doing some outreach with Pastor Sam and Lucy and the crew in East Coast. But good to have her back here. And she uh, she got back and had to go immediately to work. So she's kind of so she kind of does some weird stuff on here today. You you can just uh, bear bear with her just a little bit. But good to have everyone here today. If you're joining us for the very first time, this is the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies, which we do an expository teaching, um, typically Monday through Friday, the holidays and travel things like that for ministry. Uh, sometimes change up our schedule, but we're typically here Monday through Friday from uh, nine o'clock to ten o'clock a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And presently, we're doing an expository teaching on the Book of Romans, and we are in class. What is it, Deb? 102, class 102 in the book of Romans today, Uh, but if you've not been with us, as we said in the past in our previous classes, those classes are available for download in MP3 format, free of charge, 101 classes, all that's free, you can go to our website at www.biggrace.com, right there on the screen, and that uh, those are available to you, you can get those, and if you'll click on Raven Magazine, the daily classes are there, you just have to go through the other blog comments and different things that are happening, and you can click on that, listen to them right there on online, or you can download them to have on your computer, burn them to a disc, or whatever else. So we appreciate you joining with us today, and uh, I know God's got some tremendous things in for us. Like I said, we had a tremendous time of of ministry, not only just through the holiday, but Saturday night, hitting the streets here on a local level, uh, here in Daytona Beach, and saw God do some tremendous things. I think we were back home at 4 o'clock a.m. on Sunday morning. We had a great service last night, uh, a great time, and Pastor Terry brought a tremendous word out of uh, Romans chapter 12, I guess it was, last night on subject of just loving one another in the body of Christ. And so, had a great time. Also, don't forget, we are here as well in a live format every Tuesday evening for the Raven uh, Nation program, which brings together our teams from all over the United States and Canada. And uh, we have visitors in foreign countries and everything that join in with us as well. That is 8.30 p.m. on Tuesday evenings. Then we do what we call the Raven House to House on uh Sunday evenings at 5.30 p.m. And it's usually a time of praise and worship and teaching from various people that are involved in our local outreach here in Daytona Beach. And so we encourage you to come anytime. We just make that available. We're together. And uh, anytime we can be with the brothers and sisters across indeterminate of uh, uh, where you are geographically, we love to connect with you and pray with you and just believe Jesus with you and to have that type of fellowship that this type of uh, forum and this uh, really this uh, technology has allowed us to have. But good to have you today, and uh, we're just believing God's got some tremendous things. We're here, and again, I need to say this, um, we, we believe in the James principle of James 1, not just being hearers of the Word or listeners, but being doers. And so uh, everything that we're all about, if you're joining us for the very first time, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Because James 1 does tell us if we're hearers and not doers, then we're deceived. And we believe that we're, we're here in order to take the, the principles and the passion that God has entrusted us with and hopefully invest that into other people that they'll go out and change their world for the cause of Christ. And so that's what our heart is and our passion is, is that none should perish but that all should come to repentance. But we know that they can never come to that place unless they hear the Word. How will they know unless we preach? How can we preach unless we're sent? And so we're all about equipping and sending people out into the harvest fields because we know according to Matthew chapter 9 that those harvest fields are are wide and right to be harvested, but the laborers are few. So we're hoping to raise up a few harvesters out for the kingdom. So let us know what you're doing. If you have any questions or comments uh, on the on the program, on the class, if you would, uh, hold those until after the, the 10 o'clock hour, and I'll stay with you as long as possible. Or at the end, I will put my telephone number up, and you can call me directly, and we can discuss that on the air. You can Skype me, either one, S-K-Y-P-E. If you're not familiar with Skype, it's a great program. Go to Skype.com. You can download that. And uh, free uh, voice over internet uh, telephone service. Uh, but you can do that. Or if you want to email me, uh, Deb will put my email up right there on the screen. It's raven at biggrace.com. And you can email me if any questions, you have any uh, 
desire for any uh, further discussion on anything that we talk about here on the uh, Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies. Glad to talk about those things. If it's something relating to our class, we'll talk about it right here live on the air and bring some clarity to that as well. Pastor, why don't you open us up in prayer, pray for the class today, just that we'll have understanding and wisdom that God, uh, just by His Holy Spirit, just lead and guide us into all truth. And pray for the, those that have been sick in their physical bodies as well, brother. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. Father, we do ask for for understanding and clarification of the, your word this morning, Father. And Father, we thank you so much for your word. And Father, we we just ask that you help us to walk in your word, Father, and be again to be doers of the word and not mere listeners, Father. Father, we lift up all those who are are going through sickness or any any kind of illness, Father, and uh, just ask for healing in their bodies and and. Father, we lift up our brothers and sisters in in the countries of Africa and Pakistan and India, Father, that uh, that uh, tune in with us every day. And Father, we just ask that you help them, Father, and just help them to to be able to spread this word, Father, and uh, just to cause an explosion in their countries, Father, of people just seeking you. And Father, we just uh, thank you for this day, Father, and that you bless each and every family that's uh, involved in hearing this today, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And amen. Uh, got some tremendous things that are coming up. I want to also bring people's attention. We're, we take a team into New Orleans. Uh, in it'll be February first to the fifth in two thousand eight, and uh, we preach out on the streets during what's Mardi Gras. Most of you folks have heard of Mardi Gras. But uh, we'd love for anybody that would desire to join us on the streets. We usually have about a team of about 125, 150 that are there in the city of New Orleans. If you want some more information on that, once again, go to our website, biggrace.com, and you can click on, I believe it's Mardi Gras Outreach button right there on the main page. We'd love to have you. We see many, many people, hundreds usually, come to the Lord Jesus Christ during that time. It's a tremendous time of, of just harvesting. We'd love to have you a part of our team out there on the streets of New Orleans during Mardi Gras. So something we need to bring that up because it's coming up quick. I mean, here we are closing in on, on December 1st on Saturday, and uh, we got December and January. Then, brother, we're going to be in the streets, back in the streets of New Orleans. We have a team that's there all the time doing ministry. And, Pastor, they're actually going out. There's about 400 homeless people that have been that have been displaced for the last two years as a result of Hurricane Katrina. 400 homeless people that are actually living at City Hall on the grounds. The, the mayor of the city, Mayor uh, Ray Nagin, uh, began to say, y'all need to come home. Everybody needs to come. They had this big call out. So they came home and they didn't have anywhere to live. Mm-hmm. There wasn't anywhere to live, no jobs. And so they just started pitching tents right there at City Hall. And because they told them to come home, they can't run them off. And so, you know, it would be kind of a political suicide. And so our team is going out there every Sunday afternoon and feeding the hungry and doing an open-air church service right there with, with 400 people in their congregation that are on the streets. So be praying for our team there in New Orleans as well. And we'd love for you to join us in New Orleans during Mardi Gras. And again, go to our website. You can get information or you can contact us through the website and my uh uh, email address or my telephone number. It's all right there on the website. So I'd love to, to have you there. We're doing an outreach this coming Sunday afternoon at 1 o'clock. So if you're in the Daytona Beach area and you'd like to join us, uh, you can once again contact us through the website. We'd love you. We're going to be out in the quote-unquote the hood, brother. Out the there hood. just reaching some people for Jesus. But we'd love you to come and be a part of that as well. So we're on the book of Romans, the 8th the chapter. We're going to be looking at, uh, read. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 to you. We're going to discuss those. In relationship to what we've been studying on this, and it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. That, in verse 4, the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, or they are dominated, is the word for that uh, in the Greek uh, translation, uh, do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit do the things of the Spirit. Folks, we've been covering what is probably perhaps one of the most uh, significant portions of our study in the book of Romans, as well as really the, the entirety of the Pauline epistles. In the 39 verses that are here in, in chapter 8 
that are contained in this section of Paul's letter contain really some of the most powerful and transforming truths of the New Covenant. We're going to find not only in these first five verses that we're going to be really covering today, but as we continue into the 8th chapter, and uh, uh, I encourage you, really, the 8th chapter of the book of Romans is something that we need to study and read on a regular basis because there's such powerful truths in relationship to the to the believer is what it's for. And I've said many times that the 8th chapter of... Uh, Paul's Roman letter has been one of the probably the most liberating and empowering of my Christian walk. And when I truly got an understanding, and more so than just an intellectual understanding, Pastor Terry, because uh, you know you can mention some of the things that we've talked about in relationship to the sin nature versus the the divine nature that's in, imparted in us at, at, at salvation. And you'll talk to a lot of people that have an intellectual understanding of those type of things, and you'll even see it when we're out ministering on in the, in the streets, so to speak, whatever that street is, um, whether it's the market place or a literal street in front of a, a club or whatever it might be, but you see people that have an intellectual understanding, but it's never become a revelation to them. It's never become like rhema. It's never become life to them. And you can see it because of the testimony of their life. They can, they can spit the things out and they can talk about those type of things, but there's no application of the principles because it's strictly an intellectual, it's strictly a religious experience or some type of thing that they can do by rote rather than something that is, is manifested in their life and it's changed and transformed. I can say that because I've been there before. I know what it is to quote-unquote be religious. I know that what it uh, is to be brought up with that environment and go through the motions. I know what it is to, to uh, quote-unquote be baptized and, and come out of the water, not changed and transformed, but just wet. And, and wet and religious, and they hand me a certificate and say, okay, here's your pass into the kingdom. But knowing inside of my heart and in my life that I was no more saved or born again than the man in the moon, that there was no change that had come upon me. And I know the Word tells me that, that the Spirit Himself, not what somebody else says, but the Spirit Himself will bear witness to my spirit that I am a child of God. And that's got to be our, our goal, the desire. I want the Spirit bearing witness with my spirit confirming in me and bringing that, that confidence, breaking me free from the condemnation and knowing that I'm, I'm walking in a liberty, I'm walking in a victory and that I am genuinely seated with Him in tra- uh, heavenly places through faith. To not only change what I do in a religious sense, but changes who I am in a relational sense. And we talked about in depth last week about just that inheritance that comes uh, in our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and there's that, that law of sin and death. That, that There's that great power that was over us. But there's a greater power that causes us to transcend the limitations of our own ability and even our religious intellect. Pastor, we meet so many people that are very, quote-unquote, sincere in what they think or what they believe or what their understanding is. And because they, they've been told, listen, if you just come here, if you just do these things, then you'll be born again. But you begin to quiz them about the fruit of their life. Matthew chapter 7 says, you know a tree, not by what it says, but by the fruit that it bears. And that a, a tree that does not bear forth good fruit is only good to be cut down and cast into the fire. And, and it's, it's pretty clear what that's talking about because he goes on to say that not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom, but those that do the will of our Father who is in heaven. And so what we've been talking about is, is, is transcending the intellect and coming to a place where we understand what it means to break free from the condemnation of the flesh, which can also include religion, and and walking in the Spirit and seeing our lives changed and transformed by the Spirit of God. And I know for me, Pastor, and I've I've shared this with you and I've shared this in this this format, when I got a grip on literally the 8th chapter of the book of Romans, particularly these first few verses, really what it did, it opened my eyes. It opened my eyes to a new level of understanding. We're going to talk about how we can come to that because there's many people that are with us today that have read that and they've heard that and they've said, well, this is great, but it never has clicked yet. And folks, it's, it's one thing to, to hear it and it's another thing to know it and walk in it. Okay, do you hear what I'm saying? And so I'm, I'm going to be talking about, as this class progresses today, in, in what the, really the defining moment is. And we talk a lot about defining moments in this class. And we talk about with Paul. Paul had a, a, a really a defining moment in his Damascus Road experience. But he further, and he, he shares with this when we looked at that, uh, that, that parenthetical statement of the seventh chapter, that another defining moment for him. Because he came to a place where, where, where Christ Jesus basically intercepted him in the middle of his own rebellion. He was changed and transformed. But something else ended up happening in his life. You know, he went and, 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 and things changed and transformed and he began to share what happened. Listen, the things that I wanted to do, I didn't do. The things that I said I would do, I ended up not doing. 
And he brings the explanation of that here in the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. And so, you know, we had a couple of short weeks uh, because of ministry and travel and because of the holidays. And, and so it's kind of limited, but, you know, uh, our ability to, to, to really move on. But uh, once again, it's not limited because we're not in a hurry, folks. Listen, we, we're, we're taking our time. We believe in really in a line upon line, precept upon precept approach to this study. And so, you know, we've, we've just covered a few of these verses. And I've said before that there's some places that we need to really stay at for a significant significant period of time because otherwise what happens is it becomes just a casual Bible study where you just kind of brush over things and you say, yeah, that was real great that I studied that back then, but you never get it inside of you. And folks, listen, the things that we're talking about, you've got to get inside of you, especially in regards to the day and age in which we're living. You know, Jesus told him, listen, you can go outside, you can look at the clouds and you can tell when it's going to rain. Can you not even behold or discern the signs of the times? Brother, listen, we, we can turn on CNN or, or Fox News or, or look at something on the Internet, and you can see the signs of the time. You can see the things that are coming together that, 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 are, that are poising us literally for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's got to be an urgency within us to go and tell, but there's got to be an urgency in us to be equipped with the Word of God, to, to rightly dividing the Word of God, that we might give a man an answer for that hope that is within us. And so that's what we're here for today, and we're taking the time to do that and staying with that. And I believe that it's out of necessity. Uh, that way we can really get the principles behind this teaching. That way you will have, on a personal level, that foundation to study on your own and have the basis to understand what the Holy Spirit revealed to the Apostle Paul and desires to reveal to you and I today. Pastor, we've said many times, we're not here as the end all. What we're here for is to provide a basis, to, to provide some principles, to provide something beyond the intellectual understanding of man. And hopefully something just touches your heart and you say, you know what, God just sparked something inside of me. You begin to get into the Word. and I get testimonies like that all the time, not just here on the local level, but others that they say, you know what, you said something, and man, God just opened some thought up, and I began to search the Scripture and began to pray and seek the Holy Spirit. And man, He just began to nail me with some things and just give me a greater level of, of, of understanding and bring me to a greater challenge of maturity in my life. And so that's what this has done. So if you've not been within the past couple of weeks, as we've studied this chapter, I really encourage you to go to that website, www.biggrace.com, and listen to the last six classes about, which are going to be available to you, like I said, on free download. Because I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time reviewing the, over the next few days, but because I want to continue our progress in this study. But what we talked about extensively in this is that the greatest freedom that the believer can have, not the unbeliever, mind you, when Paul wrote this letter, he was not talking about those that are outside the faith. And so when he's talking about this, he's talking about believers, those that are part of the household of faith. And so when we talk about this, I want you to see uh, that it's really talking about believers as well. And so he's given us something that we can experience. And what we can experience is a freedom from condemnation. Now, brother, I don't know about you, but I, I, I lived a life, quote unquote, in Christianity that still maintained a level of condemnation. And until I came to literally a revelation of the Word of God, it became that, that, that cyclic type thing. I was in it one day, and okay, I'm great, and, and, but my walk was like this. But I had to come to the end of, of saying, you know what, God? I know there's got to be a firmness and a foundation and a constancy and a consistency in my walk. And, and for me, brother, it came through this. And we're going to talk about just that, that greatest freedom as we talk about literally really this fourth verse uh, in fifth verse today. But in order to do that, I want you to go back to the Gospel of John, the third chapter, and I'm going to read to you verses 17 through 21. Verses 17 through 21. And here's the promise that Jesus gave uh, to His disciples that's going to set the stage for what Paul is teaching us, the revelation that came to Paul, and what uh, Paul is teaching us here in the book of Romans. And here's what he said. He said, God sent not His Son into the world to what? To condemn the world. What did we read here in, eight, in, in Romans 8.1? There is what? No condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So I want you to look at some similarities here. And he says, but the, that the world through Him might be saved. That the world through Him might be free from what? Condemnation. And so condemnation comes when sin is upon us. Condemnation is another word for judgment. And we know that God judges no man, but He's commit all judgment unto the hands of His Son Jesus. But it says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. But then it says in verse 18, very important, it says, He that believeth on Him is what? Is not condemned. 
And so if I want to get out from under condemnation, what does it say I have to do? I have to believe on Him. He that believe on Him, believes on Him is not condemned. Now, brother, let me ask you this. It, that's pretty definitive. But it says, He that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God that finishes out verse 18. How many people do you know that claim to be believers? And I, I say this because I talk to hundreds of people, uh, new fresh faces on a regular basis because of our, our travels and the type of ministry that we do. That people that, that claim to be believers, but when you begin to talk to them, they walk in complete condemnation. Okay? They do. They do all the time. They walk in condemnation. They walk in, in continuous failure. They walk in a continuous struggle. They, they walk in what He said you wouldn't walk in. But He said that He that believes on Him is not condemned. And so, how are people that claim to believe on Him still condemned? Think about that just for a second. And so, is it a problem with Jesus? Is it a problem with the transformation that comes through faith and the finished work of the cross? It can't be that. And so what does it have to be a problem with? It has to be a problem with that third word in the verse 18. He that believeth. There's got to be a problem with belief. You know what? Help our unbelief. And there's that, 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 that evil heart of unbelief. Because when I'm genuinely walking in belief, I'm going to genuinely be walking in a freedom from condemnation. But the litmus test should be in my life if I'm walking under condemnation, whether that's a condemnation in my heart or a condemnation that I'm feeling, whatever the, the, the source of that may be, what it's saying to me is, listen, there's a problem with my belief. There's not a problem with the finished work of the cross. There's not a, a, a problem with the, with the redemption that is bought, bought for us through faith in the Lord Jesus. There's a, there's, a, there's a problem with our belief. Then he goes on to say this, and, and it really further uh, illustrates what we're talking about. He said, but this is the condemnation, that the light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Folks, listen. When we suffer condemnation, it comes right back to us. Brother, I've said many times, not only in this for, uh, format, but I've said it at pastoring churches and being a pulpit, if there's an issue that I'm struggling with, the only place I need to go to is the mirror. You know why? Because typically, my, the, the problem starts right there with me. The problem starts with me not walking in belief, not walking in faith towards God. And as a result of that, what do I do? I open up the doorway for the adversary to come in and run roughshod over my life. Not unlike what happened to, to Adam and Eve in the garden. So folks, listen. But the problem with that is that I love darkness. Or I loved what darkness was doing to me. We was talking to a gentleman out on the, the streets the other, other day, Rusty and I were, and it's a, a, a man by the name of Greg. Greg is 49 years old, living on the streets, uh, bound by, by drugs and, and alcohol. And uh, we began to talk to him, and i tell you what, Greg knew, quote-unquote, he, he, he knew the, uh, the, the talk. He knew the vernacular of Christianity. But he still walked in condemnation. He walked in complete uh, bondage to sin. He knew the things and you'd start something. He'd finish your sentence for you. He knew all those things. But he did not walk in genuine belief. He had an intellectual knowledge of things. And so Rusty just called him on it. He said, Greg, he said, your, your problem is, and not what you know, he said, your problem is, is that you love sin. He said, you don't want to be free. He said, you enjoy your sin. You enjoy the things that, that you're experiencing. You enjoy the alcohol. You enjoy the drugs. You, you enjoy the lust. You enjoy those type of things. Because if you hated those things, then they would be repulsive to you and you would exit those things. It's kind of like somebody serving you a plate of some type of food that you don't like. What are you going to do? You're not going to say, you know what? I think I'm just going to try to acquire a taste for that. You're going to push that thing away. Folks, listen. This is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For every man that does evil, what? Hates the light. Yeah, that's right. Now, who's he talking about? He's talking about any man. And so if I'm continuously walking in evil, if I'm continuously walking in the, the aspect of the sin nature, what does that tell me? It says that I hate... The light. That's pretty definitive. We know that we can't serve two masters who will love one and hate the other or hate the other and love the one. Brother, what's, what's happened is, 
is there's this, this, this gray area that has slipped into Christianity over the last several generations. And it's really been at work since the, the birth of the church, and you can see that. The things that, that Paul had to confront and the, the, the people that, that, that literally came up against him, and we see those. He, he addressed it in Galatians chapter 1, talking about, who has bewitched you, O foolish Galatians, that you would uh, be removed from the truth and turn to another gospel, which is not a gospel at all. And so what's happened is, is, is there's been a hatred to the light. We know that His Word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And so there's literally become a hatred for the principles of the Word of God. Once again, we began to talk to a young lady the other night that was there. <coughs> and you called me over to sit down and I talked to her. And she was out there in, in, right in, uh, next to one of the, uh, the major uh, nightclubs here in the city and was, was, was out partying or doing whatever she was going to do. And we began to talk to her. And so she began to say, well, you know what, this is right. Unless you have this one specific translation of the Bible that I've never heard of before, then it's, it's wrong and it's false. But then we began to question her about what that Bible said. And she didn't even know what it said. No. Somebody had just told her that was the way to move. Her, her, her mother had told her that. She said, well, you really need to talk to my mother about this. And was trying to get her mother on the telephone. And so we began to quiz her. And she was a lady in her 20s, had two children, and married. And so, the, you know, we're talking about somebody that, 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 that wasn't just a child, so to speak. But her understanding was totally unfruitful. And so she hated the light because she did not even know the light. And the Word says there in, in John uh, 3.20, it says that they neither come to the light because if they do, that their deeds will be reproved. And so when we begin to quiz her about, well, what the Bible says, it says, well, I don't know about that. Well, since you're saying that the, you, know, you, you stand upon the Word, that you have a belief, but when we begin to tell her, okay, here's what you're saying that's happening in your life. Here's what you're doing. Here's the promiscuity and the party and everything you're doing. Here's what the Word of God says. And she did not want that because it, it was it repudiated her. And so she basically ended up going in and said, I gotta go get me something to drink and left and didn't want to continue to engage in that conversation. Well she told us at one point there if I, if we really wanted to find out about one thing, we need to watch King of Kings. Yeah. She, I'm thinking. And I said, so your, your theology comes from a, a, a Hollywood movie. And I mean, really, that was the extent of it. She said, well, you need to watch this, this, this picture and you'll, you'll see how that works. Folks, listen, that's what's sad. But here's what it says in verse 21 of John chapter 3 in relationship to what we're talking about here in Romans chapter 8. It says that he that does truth comes to the light. Uh, why? That his deeds may be manifest that they are wrought in God. And so when I not only hear truth, but what does it say? He that does, does truth. Folks, listen, we need to stop just being that here. And we need to start allowing ourselves to do the truth that God says and to produce the fruit. Because it's got to move past that. Otherwise, what are we going to find? We're going to find ourselves digressing back into the condemnation because we do not believe and that we are condemned by the light. And so when it speaks of believing in verse 18, this belief is not just that casual belief that really characterizes and plagues many or most confessing Christians. But it's one that, that takes a much, uh, 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 much, much more in regards to surrendering unto Christ Jesus. I'm going to give you an example of that. Think about this. I'm going to read that again to you. It says, For God sent not His Son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he believes not in the name of the only begotten Son. This is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that does evil hates the light, and neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. <coughs> Excuse me. But he that uh, does truth comes to light, that his deeds may be man manifest, that are wrought in God. That believing, and, and write this down, it comes from the same Greek word that we get faith from. Faith is that word pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, in the Greek. This is pistuo, which is P-I-S-E-U-O, for, uh, for an English spelling of that Greek word, P-I-S-E-U-O. And it's, it, it comes from that same uh, Greek root word for faith. Now listen to what it literally translates into. It means to, to, to be persuaded of something, to give credit or to place confidence in something. It's using the New, uh, the New Testament of conviction and trust to which a man is impelled by a certain and inner and higher prerogative and law of the soul. <clears throat> to be impelled by something is literally to be pierced through by something. And it's the same word that was utilized in, in the Gospel of Matthew, the ninth chapter, when it says that Jesus was moved with compassion. And so it's, it's, it's to be impelled by something. It's like something that gets you in the gut. Now, brother, you've probably seen things in your life that just moved you. 
that, 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 that you were stricken through and you just could not escape those things. It was on your heart. It was on your mind. You, you thought about it all the time. You just could not escape it. And so when, when it talks about this, that he that believeth on him is not condemned, it's a pistio. And it means literally that I'm completely persuaded. I have a confidence in it. I've been impelled by something. It's, a, it's, a, it's impelled by a certain inner and higher prerogative that comes in the law of my soul. And it literally means to trust in, in Jesus it, it, that He's able to aid in obtaining or doing something, a saving faith. It's to completely be entrusted to something. It's to walk in complete fidelity to something. And so when I walk in complete fidelity to something, what it is is I'm walking in complete faithfulness to something. I'm not, I'm not being uh, 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 unfaithful. I'm not walking in infidelity or trying to have a, a relationship or two or three different things. But brother, when I'm walking in belief, my fidelity is in Him. My trust is in Him. I've been impelled by Him. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live in the life that I now live in the flesh. I live to the glory of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I've been impelled by everything about Him. And so when something impels you, where does it go? If I impel you with a spear, what have I done, brother? Pierce. I've pierced you and I've gone where? Into your innermost being, Okay. And you need to, I want you to keep that in mind because I'm, I'm taking you somewhere, but you've got to understand what Jesus was setting them up for right here in John chapter 3. And we're going to really look. I want to show you how, uh, how uh, the Gospel of John, when Jesus began to unfold the plan of salvation, not only that, but the, the ability to walk in the victory and to be delivered from condemnation, how He was setting them up and He was bringing that greater revelation of John and, uh, with the, the understanding of Romans chapter 8. Man, you're going to see something today in relationship to this that you've probably never thought about and how this John chapter 3 is going to tie, on to tie into something that for me, brother, that changed everything. Literally, it brought me to the understanding of Romans chapter 8. Not only that, but it empowered me not to walk this up and down, you know, uh, carnal Christianity that was backslidden one day and I was serving God the next. And, and you're going to see this through this. Folks, listen, freedom from condemnation uh, from the sin nature begins at the point of conversion. Okay? I want to say that. You can write that down in your notes. Uh, freedom from condemnation begins at the point of, uh, of conversion. And you see that even here in John chapter 3. He says that uh, God didn't send His Son to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. That he that believeth on Him is not condemned, that believeth not is condemned already. That He says that, that, that this is the condemnation. Light has come, and men love darkness rather than light because their, their deeds were evil. But then He tells us, but he that does truth comes to the light. And so I've got to come back to that place of, God, what are you trying to teach me in belief? Now, brother, you gave your life to the Lord Jesus Christ in what, 1986? 84. 1984. Uh, no, 94. 1994. Uh, I'm thinking about when you got married. <laughs> Wasn't it like 80, 84? It was when you, you and I yeah. were 84. That's what I'm thinking about your marriage. And so, in that, brother, I'll tell you what, I, and because I'm, I've known you for many years, I, I know that your quote-unquote belief has changed in those times. The things that you came to and you believe on, on a certain level... Man, God has just brought a refinement and brought a nurture. Even, even what you were teaching last night about, about what God was teaching you about belief, what was He helping? He's helping you uh, heal your unbelief in the area of love and changing and transforming them. And so, folks, that's literally what God is doing. And so, when we see this begin here in John chapter 3, what He's wanting to do is impel us with the truth on the inward man. And I want you to think about something. This belief is not just uh, merely demonstrated in our lives by some one-time experience. But folks, it's rather it's cultivated, it's developed literally through a daily commitment to the Lord Jesus through prayer, through studying the Word, and allowing the flesh to be crucified on a daily, moment-by-moment -moment basis. And so the key, literally, to walking in victory over the sin nature or becoming free from the condemnation that is associated with walking in the framework of what we talked about, the law of sin and death, is understanding what it truly means to walk in the manifest truth of the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, which we discussed in verse 2. And so I want to reread verses 4 and 5 right here in Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to pull something together out of the Gospel of John for you today that I hope is going to give you a greater understanding of what we've been talking about. And here's what he says. He says, For the, the, the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Okay? Folks, listen. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, 
really, brother, it, it poses to me a very interesting and, and very challenging uh, uh, thought and proposition, especially when we consider the futility of trying to measure up to the standards of the law apart from the new birth. And so he's saying that the righteousness of law, and I want to slow down and read this to you, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled. And so we, we see the purpose and the plan. When he's talking about breaking us from this condemnation, the way it's broke is what? That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. And so we, we know that we can't fulfill those things. Otherwise, Jesus would not have had to die upon the cross. That that law that was given 4,000 years ago, that moral law of Moses, that we continuously saw a cycle of failure in that. That Jesus had to come and be the fulfillment of the law. But he says that I want the law, the righteousness, the what of the law? The righteousness of the law to be fulfilled. And so folks, what I mean by this is we've talked about it on, on many occasions in the last 101 classes in the book of Romans that there's always been an attempt by man and, and, and very well-intentioned men uh, uh, as well, sincere folks, to somehow meet the standard of righteousness that God requires. And we try to do it through our own strength, through our own willpower, through our own knowledge, through our own religiosity, through our own goodness. We always attempt to do those things. But these attempts have failed every single time. Because apart, folks, really from the sanctifying presence of the Holy Spirit, men will always revert back to the least common denominator and always fall short of the glory of God according to Romans 3.23. But this is what is so exciting to me. This is what is, is liberating. But what we see here is that there is a righteousness in the law. Because the law, what, came from God, but there is also that which kills in the law. And so, in order to walk and to allow the righteousness of the law fulfilled, what we've got to learn to do, is, folks, is differentiate between the part of the law that kills and the part of the law that has righteousness in it. Now, I'm going to share something with you out of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. I tell you what, brother, if we could just study all the third chapters of all the books of the Bible, we'd be set. You know, think about Romans 3 and John 3, and now we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, think about this. Chapters, uh, yeah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. He begins by saying, Do we again commend ourselves, or do we, as some others, uh, epistles of uh, accommodation to you, or letters of commendation from you? In other words, he's saying, Listen, is this coming from you? He said, You are our epistles written in our hearts, known and read by all men. He says, Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. And we have such trust through Christ Jesus towards God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves. Not that we have any ability to think of, uh, of anything as being from ourselves. But our sufficiency is from God. In verse 6, listen to this closely. Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, of, but of the Spirit. Okay, Not of the letter of what the law, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Okay? If I want the righteousness of the law to be fulfilled in me, I've got to see what he's saying here in 2 Corinthians 3, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 6. There is a, a letter that kills, but there's a spirit that gives life. Folks, you've heard me probably say here on several occasions that it's more important to be righteous than it is to be right. Okay? And because I can be right, the law was right. You know, it was. It was absolutely right because it came from God. But folks, apart from the Spirit of God indwelling the believer, all that it could produce was condemnation. Do you hear me? Or judgment. To have the righteousness of the law fulfilled, we have to cease to walk after the flesh and begin to walk after the Spirit because the Spirit of the law gives life. And so when Jesus came and He said... He tells us here in John three seventeen through 21 he says that He came not to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. And He tells us everyone that, that, that believes on Him is not condemned. Believes on what aspect of it? The righteousness of the law, which is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And not only just fulfilled in Christ Jesus, but He brings about a promise through that. And so, now this brings us to really a very important part. Can you walk in the Spirit apart from being filled with the Spirit? Okay? Can you walk in the Spirit apart from being filled with the Spirit? Okay? 
And the reason I say that is going to bring up something very interesting and in, in really a, a, a debate that is, that is that is swirled around for years and years and years, but really there's no debate. All you have to do is look at the condition of, of, of Christianity and, and you can see it at work. Can I walk in the Spirit without being filled with the Spirit? Now, I want to, we're going to stay in John just for a moment. I want to look at John chapter 14, verses 16 through 21. John 14, verses 16 through 21. John fourteen sixteen through 21. This is Jesus speaking. He said, I will pray the Father, and He will give you another comforter, that He may abide with you forever. Even what the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. And so i got to know that, listen, He that comes to the light has got to believe in that truth, that there is a truth that comes through the Word of God, which is the light. Okay, so even the Spirit of truth that the world cannot receive, who cannot receive it? The world. Because it sees Him not, neither does it know Him, but you know Him, for He dwells where? With you, but shall dwell in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you, yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you see me, because I live, you shall also live also. At that day you shall also know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He that what has my commandments and keeps them, he is he that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved to my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Verse 21, He that has my commandments and keeps them. Now folks, listen to what that says. He that has. We're talking about the, being able to keep the commands of God, to be able to keep the law of God. And we've talked about so many times just the futility of it. We try in our own strength, we try in our own will, and we always come up short, just like Paul the Apostle confessed in in that 7th chapter of the book of Romans. And so it reveals that Christ was about to provide something, or better yet, someone who would enable the righteousness of the law to be fulfilled in the life of the sincere believer who has been impelled by something. Now, I want to go back and look at verse 17. He won't just be with you, but he shall be in you. He will want. He will. Let's, let's take that word. He will impel you. He will be in this, inside of you. Now, folks, listen. We're talking about here in John chapter fourteen. Jesus has his disciples, his followers. This is right, right before his his ascension, and we could read the rest of it. And you're, you're going to see. And so these are folks that were devoted to him, that were followers of him. But it says right here that the Spirit was not in them. It just says that they were. He was with them. And so, I love what it says. It says, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Now, let me ask you this, Pastor. Can the world receive salvation through faith? God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so, we know that the world can obtain salvation. It can uh, come to that place of reconciliation. It it can come to that place of being, quote-unquote, born again or being saved. We know that. But what he's telling them is something that's coming that the world cannot receive. And so I know just by that statement that he's not talking about merely salvation because the world can receive that. And because, But what he's talking about is something that's coming subsequent to the new birth. And I'm not talking about reconciliation. I'm talking about what he's promising that is going to bring sanctification or freedom from the, from the condemnation of the flesh that the fulfillment or that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. And so we know that he's saying that there's something that comes afterwards or subsequent to salvation. Now look at this. Look at John 20, 20 through 23. John 20. Let's go forward just a little bit. And it says this. I'm going to start with verse 20. It says, And when he had said so, once again, Jesus, he showed unto them his hands. And now this is after his resurrection. And that he showed them his side. And his disciples said, were glad when they saw the Lord. Then he said unto them again, He said, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed, how? He breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Okay? So he breathed on them. And he says, Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. And so what happened? The, the agency of the Holy Spirit came up on them. He breathed on them, okay? And so we see that. Now, are these believers? Yes. They are disciples. They are followers of Christ. And so we know that the person of the Holy Spirit is with them. We, we know it from John chapter 14. We know it from the 16th that He breathed upon them. Now I want you to look at, uh, at Luke chapter 24, 
verses 44 through 53. Luke 24, 44 through 53. And he says this, And he said unto them, once again, Jesus speaking, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things might be fulfilled. Okay? We know from Romans, what? That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled. And so Jesus is always consistent in, 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 in His revelation. And He said, These are the words which I spoke to you, that all things might, must be fulfilled, which are written in the law of Moses, okay, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning Me. And so Jesus gives that promise. He said, I'm giving you this, that it might be fulfilled. Then we rush ahead to Romans chapter 8, verse 4. And He's saying that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled. So you see the consistency and the continuity of the Scripture. Then He says, Then He... he then he opened their understanding. Okay? But here we are. We had 23 chapters in the book of Luke. And it's just saying at this point in their walk, in, their, in the phase of discipleship for them, that he opened their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. And so it came from something that it was just a head knowledge of understanding. And it became literally revelatory to them at this point. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in the name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And then listen. He reiterates the exact same promise that he gave in John chapter 14 and in John 16 and 20 actually as well. And he said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. He said, But tarry or wait in the city of Jerusalem that you might be what? Endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them that he was taken from them and carried unto heaven. And so he tells them, Listen, I'm going to give the promise to you now, this is the same people, okay? This is the same group of folks that he breathed upon in, in, in the 20th chapter of the book of John, okay? He breathed upon them. And so, they weren't finished. Do you hear me? Something happened to them. The, the, the new birth, they were saved. They were transformed. They had their place in heaven. But he tells them, listen, I want you to go and I want you to wait in Jerusalem because something that I promised you all the way back in, in, in the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John is about to happen. But you're going to have to stay there and I'm going to give you power from on high. He's not going to be with you, He promised, but He's going to be in you. He was with you as long as I was here and I breathed up on you, but He's going to be inside of you and He's going to give you the power. We know that word and we're going to, we're going to read. Let's go ahead. Matter of fact, it says they worshiped Him in verse 52 and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continuing in the temple praising and, and uh, God, Amen. And so I want to give you another description of that same encounter that they had right there in the 22nd uh, chapter of the book of Luke. And it's found in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Now look, let's look a little bit deeper into that. In, in, in uh, Luke writing, he said, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. What's interesting, Luke was also the author of the book of Acts. Luke was also the author, obviously, of the, uh, the, uh, the physician Luke, of the book of Luke, which is uh, named after him. He said, I give you these things until the day in which he was taken up, that he through the Holy Ghost has given us commandments unto the apostles who he has chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after the Passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them for forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And so, brother, we always talk about things pertaining to the kingdom of God. How are they relating to the kingdom? The kingdom of God comes not with observation, but it's within you, okay? And so we're talking about what is going to allow us to break free from the, the condemnation, and literally that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, according to Romans 8 and 4. And he says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard of me. Now we're talking about a ten day period of time that they come together and begin to pray. They're in one place, one accord, in unity. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days since. You will be consumed. You will be submerged in Him. And when they therefore were come together, they asked of Him, saying, Lord, will you at this time return again or restore again the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put upon His own power. But He said, You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnessing unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And when He had spoken these things, while they beheld, He was taken up, and a cloud received Him, out of their sight. So he offered the power. That word is the Greek word dunamis. It's miracle working power. Folks, listen. In order to walk out from under condemnation, 
It's going to take a miracle. It's, it, it takes a miracle every single day because it is so easy to rely back on the arm of the flesh and to begin to look back in the strength of our own willpower or what we've learned or what we understand. All those type of things, it's easy to fall back with that empowerment. And so what does Jesus do? He says, listen folks, you're saved. You, the, the Spirit is with you. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to bring all these things together. I'm going to bring Romans 8 together. I'm going to bring John 3 together. I'm going to bring John 14, 16 and John 20 together. I'm going to bring Luke 24 together. I'm going to bring Acts uh, uh, 1 together. I'm going to bring all these components to my Scripture and I'm going to make a believer out of you. And we know, listen, that's what He wants to make. He wants to make a believer out of us. Because when if we believe as the Scripture says, as we believe as John 3 says, as John 14, 16, 20, Luke 24, Acts 1, if we believe as the Scripture says, out of us is going to flow rivers of living water. If I believe. And so the key is coming to that place where literally I'm impelled with the Spirit. And so when I'm impelled with the Spirit, what do I cease to do? I cease to walk according to the flesh. Why? Because the Spirit causes the flesh to be crucified. Because what does it do? It brings the fulfillment of the law, not the letter of the law that brings condemnation, but it brings the Spirit of the law that brings life. And so when, when we come to that place subsequently, folks, what I'm talking about is that promise. You know, you've heard it called the, the baptism of the Spirit. You've called it the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Brother, when I came to Christ Jesus, I came and I was saved, legitimately saved, and I got, had a born-again experience. But brother, when I came to that part, when I began to study the Word of God, and him brought, He brought an understanding, and I prayed, I said, God, you know what? You had something for them. It's evident through the Scripture. And here's how I came to that. I came to John 20. And they, they had the Spirit. They were saved. But there was still something subsequent there was another event that was that was unmistakable in the scripture. It was when he talks about he says I, he baptized with you water with water, but they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. I knew that it had nothing to do with the new birth. I knew that from the Word of God, from John fourteen, that the world could not receive it. From from John twenty, that He breathed upon them. I knew it from the promise that He gave in Luke twenty four. I knew that there had to be something that had nothing to do with with baptism and water. That had nothing to do with baptism under repentance. I knew that there was a spirit baptism that He promised that would impel us that would enable us to walk out of the condemnation of the flesh and to walk in the Spirit and the power that He promised us in that dunamis of one of Acts 1 and 8. That we are His treasure in earthen vessels. That there is that dunamis power, that overcoming ability to, to see the fulfillment of these things in the Spirit of God. And so, in order to have that, there had to be something that He provided for us after that. And it is that baptism in the Holy Spirit. And we're about out of time this morning anyhow. And I'm going to specifically speak on that about seeing the righteousness of the law fulfilled in regards to what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and what it should produce in our lives. That it's going to produce the righteousness of God. It's going to produce the fruit of the Spirit. And it's going to produce the gifts of the Spirit. And the only way, literally, you're going to find yourself being able to consistently walk in the Spirit and seeing the fulfillment of the Spirit is to have this experience in your life, this second work of grace, as we've called it many times, and be impelled by the Spirit of God. Folks, we are totally out of time today, but we'll be back tomorrow, and we're going to pick up the subject right there in verses 4 and 5, and you've got to get this in you. This is going to be your empowerment. This is going to be what you're going to be tapping into to see the victory in your life. Folks, we've got one bit of advice today as we close out the program. Get into God's Word, and God's Word will get into you.